Слава Богу! Нашому Богу, Отцу і Сину Ісусу Христу принадлежить слава. Я хочу ще помолитися. Ну, я хочу помолитися такою молитвою. На кемпі хто із вас був, ми читали із міста Писання, ну, як-то мені запало, і я днем розмишляю. Це є пасаж з Скрипчою, де... Got stuck in my mind for now, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm looking at this passage, and I see lots of um, illustrations in my life. And it's James chapter 4, verse 8, uh, 9, 10. Uh, I'll read from this passage, and we'll pray. And it says, <clears throat> James 4, 8, 9, 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. This talks about repentance, talks about a decision that you can make in order to get closer to God. Why do we need to get closer to God? Everything what we do without purpose is sin. The purpose is hidden with God. If we live without God, we live without purpose. And that means we sin. Sin is not to do something evil to your sister or to your brother. Not necessarily that. Sin is everything that deviates from the will of God that is going astray, that goes different direction, even slight angle is already a sin. And right now we are doing some minor remodeling in my house. We're changing rails. Um, and um, yesterday one of the guys came and he stained, uh, put some stain on the um, rails. And it smells. And uh, it smells bad. It's not like a pain, you know what I'm talking Some stain a really, really um, strong order. And so my wife told me we, we have to open the windows. And so I did. Before we went to bed, we opened the windows in the living room. We are downstairs in the basement. And it still smelled. And it was, it was okay. We kind of we fell asleep. And then at 2 a.m., I woke up and I'm walking, I'm waking up. And I feel this really strong smell. And nothing helps. I go upstairs. I open the door, the sliding door, windows. I close the bedrooms for my kids, open the windows in their uh, bedrooms. I'm, I'm praying that God will, you know, keep us safe. And then the morning, I get up in the morning. I go to the living room, and I see this open can of stain with a, with a brush in it. And I'm like, okay. Here's the reason for the problem. No matter how many times I go upstairs, no matter how many, I can tear down the whole house, but there's a, there's a problem. There's a, there's a reason why I have problems in my life. And I can do all the right stuff. I can try to live the holy life. I can try to even wear good clothes and, and sing good songs. If there's something, there's a problem in my heart, I'm not going to have a, a grace of, uh, I'm not going to have fellowship with the Lord. And he says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be 
turned into mourning for a while for what when you uh, bring that fruit of repentance humble yourselves we'll be talking about this more about being humble before the lord but can we stand up and pray one more time i believe that we need to make sure that our hearts are soft right let's pray lord we are coming to you and we understand that your word is pretty clear here we thank you lord for being honest with us we thank you that you're a good father and you accept prodigal son you you receive him but you at the same time you do not tolerate any stench you do not tolerate any any dirt of this world you say the clothes has to be changed the sandals has to be put on have to be put on uh, our feet we have to change something God and we come to you and we pray Lord please change our hearts we want to humble ourselves that means we want to change the way we think about ourselves we want to change the way we think about you Lord and we pray that today your revelation will come in our lives something that will stir our spirits something that will give us hope something that will clean us cleanse our hands and our hearts and will help us to move on and walk in victory Lord and I pray that you will forgive our sins forgive us Lord I don't know what my brother sisters are praying about I'm praying about that one thing that I remember and I pray Lord forgive me forgive me in Jesus name God I want to be a clean vessel before you I want to be a, a trumpet that gives that sound that calls people to the Lord and I pray Lord that all of us will bring that fruit of repentance and change our lives and make the decision to follow you God I pray that your blessing be upon this uh, youth and upon the word that is prepared for our edification in Jesus name I pray Amen. Amen. Today we'll be reading from Romans chapter 14. And if you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, I would really like to have you follow along and, and just maybe underline or take notes if you, if you do that. That's also helpful. So chapter 14 is, the, is in the context of between the chapter 13 and 15. And if you remember, we were talking about dedicating ourselves for the Lord to presenting our bodies into the sacrifice, living sacrifice for the Lord. And then it gets practical about how we can do that in the church and how we can do that in the small group and in our families and then in the country, um, how we deal with authorities, how we make jokes about president or don't make jokes. And, and it's really practical, right? And so we get to the point where it talks about those small details, that tuning that has to happen between two people who love the Lord, between one brother and another. So whatever we're going to talk about today is not something between us, church, and this world. This is a particular specific passage about brothers and sisters in, Christ, in the body of Christ. Amen? So we will, we will read it and then we will uh, go verse by verse and I'll ask you questions and you can ask me questions. Let's make it really um, open-ended and, and uh, <clears throat> two-way. So chapter 14, Romans chapter 14, I'm reading from NASB. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. 
The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat it. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes that day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So, then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, uh, one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Can we get a little bit more light? Um, just thank you so much. Um, a little bit of big background. In chapter 3, verse 10, when we talk about being obedient to the government, when we talk about loving your neighbor, there's a, this strong, very uh, powerful verse, chapter 13, verse 10. And it says uh, the following, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If I, like, if I be able to summarize this whole chapter 14 in one sentence, that would be the verse for that chapter. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And when we talk about the relationship between brothers and sisters, especially if you think even of, of your family, 
because it's uh, one thing, you know, one level, the church level, and you can actually, um, you know, get out of the conflict with somebody who's in the church. But when you have to live with the family, oh, that might be a problem. You know, when uh, Saul was chasing David for 13 years before he became a king, Saul and David were actually in relationships. It was father-in-law and uh, David was son-in-law. And very often the biggest problem, you know, you cannot, uh, David could not kill the uh, Saul. He could not do anything. He got to the point where he was behaving like crazy. He went to the Philistine land and he was pretending he is a crazy person because of his father-in-law. And sometimes we get to the point where we're like, oh, my brother, my sister, they're getting on my nerves and, and I can't do anything about it. God knew that I have to be in that family and I have to grow spiritually. And so when we talk about love in relationships, it's that glue, it's that, it's that um, way of surviving and, and actually, you know, and, and celebrating God's victory. So love is the central piece. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So when we talk about stumbling blocks or um, soblas in Russian, we are talking about victory in love. Okay, that's the bottom point. So I give, give it away right, right away. You know, that's the bottom point. Love does no wrong to neighbor. You can, you can find the solution to any problem if you love a person. If you don't love a person, you will get into all kinds of problems and, and troubles and arguments. So that's why it says uh, the love is the fulfillment of the law. And by the way, again, Quickly a reminder that love is not the emotions or feelings. Not even in the relationship between two loving spouses or, 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 or two loving people. Love is actually a constant hard work. Sometimes it's accompanied with the feelings, but not always. And um, when the scripture says it's fulfillment of the law, love is fulfillment of the law. What is the law? It's number one, number two, number three, number four. It's the law. But love is the fulfillment of the love because you do what you do because you love somebody. Does that make sense? So it's, not, it's different from being legalistic. It's different from being zakonic pharisee. But it's pretty much doing the same stuff and even more because you love that person. You made a decision to love that person. And uh, we know that we do this I, I know you, you talked with Dennis or Andy, whoever was teaching on this, that it's a king's law. It's a royal law. Why, why is it called royal law? Because we do this for the sake of our king. Even if it's not for the sake of you, and I don't find anything appealing or attractive or, or good in you, I do this because my king, Jesus Christ, done that uh, before, and he showed me an example. And another thing, another piece before we actually go verse by verse is the historical background. When we read this chapter, what, what kind of jumped out at you? What kind of key, verse, key words? Something that, key words, that something that repeats, repeats, repeats. What kind of words were, were kind of like repetitive in this chapter? Convinced, okay. Judge, convinced, okay. Judging each other or, okay. What else? Eating? <laughs> How many times? I don't know. I didn't count. But like, eat, not eat, eat, not like, okay. Meat, vegetables. Like, how can you be, you know, weak if you eat vegetables? You're 
like vegan or, or whatever, vegetarian, so you must be strong, right? Our days. So let, let me clarify this uh, for those of you who are just catching up with the history and, and stuff. This is written to the church in Rome. Rome in the first century is the equivalent of cultural wickedness of the Western world. So in, in the, the city of Rome, whole bunch of altars, whole bunch of gods, idols, and the church, the true believers who came in the church, have to deal with it. And there were Jews, and we didn't read this, but chapters 9, 10, 11 uh, of the Romans actually deal with the problems of Jews. And there were actually Gentiles, or non-Jews, and they got into this mix, and now Jews are like, what are you eating? That was sacrificed to the idol because there was this tradition or custom to kill an animal and not just eat that animal, but sacrifice it to one of the idols so that it would be good with you and, and you would have success in your work and so on and so forth. And so, and these Christians are like, I'm not going to eat that. The Lord said that I not, should not eat you know, the pig or, or, or whatever, but let alone, you know, whatever was sacrificed to the idols. It's not clean. And the Gentiles are like, come on, guys, these idols are fake. They are not even true gods. Whoever killed that animal, we bought it at the market. We, we bring this meat. We eat it. Who cares? We pray about it. And, and they are strong in faith. At least they call themselves, themselves strong. And so... This kind of difference, when we talk about meat or vegetables, don't get stuck with eating. Because the whole point is not about food. The whole point about differences between two categories of people, right? So in our days, what, what kind of differences we might observe in the church? Something obvious, you know, we, we all, this whole crowd comes into church, not the, just the young people, but the whole church. What kind of differences in opinions, in, in different, you know, attitudes we can have? Compare contrast with me. Are we all the like? So, what is it? Oh, come on. Tall, okay, let's start with that. Tall and short, okay. Hopefully we don't have to make, you know, to deal with that difference uh, and argue about it, but okay, that's good. What else? Washing the feet and not washing the feet. Oh, wow. Okay. So I feel like you are weak in faith, but we're, okay, thank you. What else? Drinking water or not drinking water during the church, right? So I drink it, uh, you know. Okay, what else? <laughs> What's that? Head coverings. Okay, well, let, let's talk about it. How about uh, young and old? Young versus old. Right? A lot of differences. Okay, you talk with the person, and they, the first, the key phrase would be, in our days, or when we were young, or something, something like that, right? Whether it's good or bad, so we have differences. Rich and poor, right? Something subtle, but it's like, oh, okay, well, anyway, I'm not talking to you. Okay, what else? Differences. All kinds of differences, right? We can, you can name it. A lot of different stuff. It might be about, you know, between the youth, young people, conservative, liberal uh, differences. So when we read this chapter, if you have something that is, 
you are sensitive to, questions you are sensitive to, apply this truth to that area of your life. Okay? It will be practical. Apply that into that area, sort of controversial area. And let's, let's um, go verse by verse. So, <clears throat> verse 1. Um, if we can put it on the screen, I'll go verse by verse now. So, verse 1, it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Whether in your Bibles or on the screen, who do we have to accept? Tell me, who do we accept? Person with different opinion. Not well. What, what else? Everyone? Do we accept everyone? Why not? We have to be tolerant to everyone. Yes? No? What's that? Okay, so we're talking in the context. Thank you for reminding. We're talking about this particular, because if we start applying that to everyone, oh, now you have to accept Buddhists, Muslims, and so on and so forth. No, this passage is about, particularly about the, those who are in what? In faith. They're, they're, they might be weak, they might be not that strong, but they have faith. And that's where you start, okay? That's where you start, because our faith can grow. Say, the faith can grow. Your faith can grow. The more you grow in obeying God's word, the more you grow in faith. So if you, if you can't remember what was the last thing you read from the Bible and you obeyed it and had joy because of that, then your faith might not be that strong. And then when you deal with these practical questions on a daily basis, you still need to make decisions. And so when you make decisions, you are not doing them in faith. And whatever is not in faith is sin. Remember what we started with? If you don't know God's will, you don't know purpose for your life, it's already sin. So you have to be in faith to deal with all kinds of things. And brothers and sisters, when it's something where you don't have to deal with it you know, head on right now, it's one thing. But when you get to the point, when you marry a person, when you live with, with you know, your family, you have to deal with questions like, um, how many kids should be in the family? Or should we actually ask that question? And right now you'd be like, oh, um, yeah, God bless you, you know, whatever you think. But when you, when you deal with questions like that and you are not answering them in faith, then, then you will be uh, suffering in that area because devil knows that he can attack you in the weakest area. So what I'm saying is that you might not have the, all the right answers, but you will make decisions according to your faith. Should I stand up and leave this room if somebody starts drinking wine? Or should I just be tolerant and accept? I'm not giving you the answers. I'm just saying that things happen on a daily basis. And you must grow in faith. You must find the, the answer in God's word and get stronger and live according to your faith. Because faith is, that's the only way, it's the only spiritual perception, the only way to touch God. 
You cannot see him. You cannot hear voices. You cannot do anything. You just live by faith. You open the word of God and you say, Lord, I need the answer or I want to know you or whatever. How you pray to the Lord, you are talking with him and doing that in faith. And so when we accept someone in faith, the, the other person at least needs to have, uh, you know, some kind of foundation to explain his opinion. It's not an explanation. It's like, oh, you don't love me. You don't, you do, you judge me. So whatever I do, you know, your opinion doesn't matter. If you tell me that you think that vaping is okay and there's nothing in the Bible, but you base your opinion based on this, okay, you are weak in faith, but I can talk with you. But if you are trying to look for, we will look later, for something to cover your sin and just covering yourself and saying, oh, you know, you, you should not judge me. I, I cannot even talk with you. You, you cannot uh, prove your point. So strong in faith here in verse 1 says that strong in faith must yield to the weak in faith. Uh, by the way, can you, can you think of a person who is weak in faith? Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, let me ask another question. Who thinks that you are strong in faith? Raise your hand if you're strong in faith. Okay, who thinks you... Okay, one person. Who thinks you are weak in faith? One, two, three, okay, four, okay. And the rest of you are non-existent okay you're not here all right so anyway it's harder for whom do you do you think it's harder to not judge the other person for stronger or for for weaker in faith for stronger it's harder <laughs> it's a hard question but very often the weak in faith doesn't even know that he or she is in, is weak in faith amen because the weak in faith doesn't look like a newcomer, a person who repented yesterday, came to Christ. Very often, the weak in faith looks like an older person, wise enough. Sometimes it can be a new convert. It can be, it can be a passionate Christian, but weak in faith. And the stronger faith is a person who is not longer in the church, who is... You know, who can quote the Bible. Stronger person is the person who can humble himself and accept the weak in faith. Can we say amen? Now, accept the one who is weak in faith. Who accepts weak in faith? Strong. So if you cannot accept anyone, if you're the only true, you know, and righteous in your eye, you, you should think about it. <laughs> okay. it's, it's already a test for you that you might be, you know, failing. Now, Jesus was strongest in faith. If, if we look in, in, on his life so many times, we see that he was so lenient to his disciples, to people around him. He would accept them. He would not tolerate sin. He would not, he would not tolerate hypocrisy, but he would accept people. And he will teach them, and he will serve them. He would uh, help them, but he was serving them as stronger in faith. And then in verse two, gotta move faster. Verse two: One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. 
So he's so like, remember that context? He's like, oh, who knows? Maybe they sold that meat to me in the market and they said they didn't sacrifice to idols, but they did. So I'm going to eat vegetables only and not to eat meat at all. And, and that's his weakness. And uh, I put this question on my notes. I don't know if I should ask you this. Should I ask you this question? Okay. What do you think is a non-negotiable in faith? Something where you do not treat this as just an opinion. Is there something in your life where you say, hey, Alex, here's the line. Whatever you say, I'm, not, I'm holding to this. I'm not going to let you cross this. Anything that, that you would say, this is non-negotiable. We cannot tolerate, uh, you know, any um, apostasy or anything brothers yeah the divinity right mm -hmm. jesus christ is god right amen okay i agree to that all right uh, anything else yeah go ahead trinity amen amen i was reading recently how to preach to the muslims and very often, you know, that's a stumbling block or an obstacle for Muslims. They are like, no, 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 Trinity, three gods. And the author, the former Muslim who converted to Christianity says, no, Trinity. Trinity is something that they need to hear. So there are certain points that are non-negotiables, right? And very often, I would say, those non-negotiables, they do not deal with the physical world. And I'm... I'm I'm probably generalizing here, but 95% from what I think the Bible says, from what I, I, I try to bring to my memory, non-negotiables mostly deal with the things that you take by faith. You cannot prove them. The divinity of God, the trinity of God, the redemption, salvation by faith. Those things you cannot, they, that, that's, I, I think God made it on purpose that it's pretty clear that even a child, you tell him the truth and they accept it by faith. And you don't have to prove and, and this is universal. But as soon as you get to the physical world, oh, that's a different matter, right? You, you talk, I mean, we don't have that opportunity, but if we lived a hundred years ago, we would deal with some stuff that we would say, hey, all of these, you know, progressive Christians, they are way behind. They are legalists or, or whatever because we know that we can, you know, talk to someone without seeing their faces <laughs> on the phone. And 100 years ago, or no, 100 years, 200 years, that would be like, oh, that's a it's impossible. So when we get to the physical world, that's when we have to deal with the controversial stuff controversial things. Uh, and, and Paul gets to the point in verse 14, I'm jumping, uh, but he says, I know and am convinced, one of the sisters said, that's actually a key word, convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Whatever physical, you, you, can, you can have alcohol and you have it as a medicine, you can have it as a poison. And I'm not, you know, defending Alcohol. Alcohol, by the way, is a Satan in a liquid state. So um, you, can, you can think about that. That's a different topic. But he says, 
convinced that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So a lot of these questions that we talk about, coverings, about head coverings, about other things uh, in the church, traditions, the way we uh, perceive, you know, how much we can have uh, of the internet in our life and things like that, those are physical uh, things and we have to answer the questions we have to have a, an opinion we have to have a standpoint from which we say hey this is not good or this is bad but that's your personal uh, business with God your your personal life with the Lord and as we grow as we mature in faith we have more and more a bigger picture and so what I'm saying is that, of course, you cannot come to salvation without the preacher because that's what the scripture says. First, you need to hear from someone and you have to go to Bible college and you have to go to, you know, listen to sermons and, and study things. But there has to be a point in your life where you're like not learning and studying and studying over and over and over again about the baptism. You got to learn that lesson and you have to move on or dying for yourself, or crucifying your flesh. If we hear sermons again and again and again, and we didn't get the point, I mean, you're just, I mean, in the school, you would be a, retained in the same grade for, for years if you don't get it, if you don't pass the test. So I challenge you, I challenge you to look for the answers, to search for the answers from the Lord and grow. And then verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. This is a problem. The conflict is even worse than eating, you know, sacrificial meats. Uh, because now your brother is hurt. And we say that the love does no wrong to the neighbor. So if there is something where you argue about and you see that brother is hurt, like Dennis was preaching last Tuesday, I remember, then you already lost. If you're trying to do good apologetics and defend your faith and you're preaching the gospel and you make somebody, you know, irritated, you lost. Because the main point is to love your neighbor. Verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And that means very simple, straightforward. Some people will fall. Some people will stand in their opinion, and they will say, yes, you must learn Russian, and you have to preach in Russian only, and, and so on and so forth. And they, it, it makes sense. They are right. And we will see, you know, 20 years, 30 years down the road, and they might be right. And others will fall. And they are true brothers and sisters, and they have an opinion, and they will fall. But the Scripture says that if they do what they do in faith, because we're talking about those people who are sincere in faith. If they do that in faith, they're doing it before the Lord. Lord sees their heart, and He will restore them. There are three categories of people, I mean, in, in this context. People who are genuinely weak, they are sincerely, they are doing what they do. They are weak in faith, but they truly think that if you do not keep Sabbath, okay, Shabbat, then you go to hell. 
and and they are they are sincere. We can see around uh, you know some people who say no, you don't do anything, and 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 they're just getting you know to the letter of the law, sincerely weak in faith. There are people who are, are strong in faith, and they are basically humble people, and they are strong in faith, and they have all the reasons to make fun of the weak people, but they don't do it. They are strong, and then there are people who are hypocrites. And they are not doing what they do in faith, but they know the Bible verses. And they, as, um, what is it, uh, first or second Peter, wait a second, I, I want to read this passage from the, from the scripture. It's first Peter. First Peter chapter 2 verse, verse 16. And here's what it says about hypocrites. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as what? As a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. So you have the freedom, you have the certain freedom, and, and you, can, you can do certain things, and you understand that it's not a sin. But the reason why you do that, not because you love the Lord or your neighbor, but because you have evil motives. And I, I have to be practical. I have to be upfront. If you are sister, and you are coming to this place, and by the way, where's the, the else on the earth is a place where we can worship together? It's in the church, right? In the small groups in the church. This is this is even non-Christians. They understand that this is a holy place. This is those you know crazy people. They come there to worship. And if you come, and you paint your nails, you wear clothes that is inappropriate. And you say, oh, I'm walking before the Lord. God sees your motives. If you're a true believer and you get a rebuke or you get a correction from the Word of God and you're not willing to change, you are that person who uses your freedom to cover evil. If your brother and if you're walking around and bragging that you can drink some beer or, or you can do this or that, and, and you're strong in the Lord and stuff, you're not doing that because you're strong in the Lord. You're just using your freedom to cover something evil and to make an excuse. Amen? And so the scripture says that we need to be careful. We need to accept each other, but in faith. All right? And this, this is a, a side note, but it's so important. I just recently got into an argument with another person, uh, actually another another pastor in our church, you know, two pastors, got into the argument. And then, and we were, and I thought that I was just, just making sense with my argument and explained what I meant. And then three days later, I feel like, oh man, I didn't say that in love. I was actually saying those things in love. So I call him this morning and I say, I'm sorry. I said that thing, I still believe that you know, my opinion <laughs> is the right opinion. But I'm sorry. i sorry I talked with you in the wrong, with the wrong tone and, and uh, with the wrong motives. I'm sorry. And he said, okay, no, nothing. I didn't really care, you know, stuff like that. And then he texted me back later. Thank you for calling me. That was just right in, in time. And I'm like, what right in time? So he, he actually had something inside. We, we, whether we feel like we are weak or strong in faith, when we have a conflict or argument, we get hurt. It's just that some people can cover that better. Some people can, you know, get it, make it 
you know, tough look. And, but we need to confess our sins. We need to ask forgiveness. So after this, if you've been arguing about, I don't know, Tsepochki or whatever else, and you've done that and you think that you're the strongest in faith, you've got to repent. You've got to go to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry I was, you know, even arguing about that. I love you. Let's get two, three minutes and we'll be praying. So <clears throat> Romans uh, chapter 14, back to that, and it says, verse 5, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So if, like I said, if somebody talks about the days, that's a, right there about Shabbat and, and all that. If you think it's, it's the right thing and you're convinced, truly convinced, that this is how you serve the Lord, God bless you. If I'm convinced, uh, I, I just visited this, uh, you know, Messianic conference, cool stuff, you know, all these lunar eclipses, you know, how they coincide with the prophecies, all these cool Hebrew letters there have numbers, codes, you know, and the, you read the name and then the word and the prophecy, and I'm like, that's so cool, but it's like a childish game for me, you know, like, okay, uh, people get excited, you know, like, 5,000 people jumping up, hallelujah. And, and for me, it's like, so what, bloody moon? I, I slept well during the bloody moon. So, and it doesn't, doesn't matter for me, but I'm convinced in my, in my heart. And then in verse 6, it says, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. Again, everything what we do in faith, it has to be for the Lord. If you're checking, if you're checking your heart, on whatever you, the question, okay? On whatever the question. And you're like, honestly, I'm doing this for the Lord. And not, don't say that, you know, if you're, if you're living together with, uh, you know, opposite sex or somebody, it's for the Lord. Just, just like, honestly, you know, on the secondary things, okay? Don't say that Alex Lobodianik said that, you know, if I'm doing this for the Lord, check mark, don't judge me. Um, honestly, if you if you we are talking about those secondary things that do not, they are non-negotiables that do not, Bible does not directly address them, and uh, you know Bible does not direct address directly so many things, stock market, iPhones, drugs, you know. But but we have we have guidelines, and if we do this for the for the Lord, uh, because it says in in verse. Um, nine. For to this end, I'm sorry, verse eight. Uh, if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. What is it talking about? It talks about if you live and you do something, it's for the Lord. If you see the, your brother and you are becoming a stumbling block, you die for the Lord. You die for yourself. And Apostle Paul talks later that, that if you guys think that eating meat is a sin, I'm not going to do it forever, ever in my life, just not so that I won't be a stumbling block and won't hurt you. So what we do again and again, we do as for the Lord. We do out of love. We do because we love our neighbor. Christ gave us an example. Verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be lords both of the dead and of the living god will judge us 
based on our motives. And verse 10 through 12 says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I don't have time for, for this, but there's another passage in the Scripture where we, um, we can be either an obstacle. There's a difference between being an obstacle or being a stumbling block. And it says that we should not be or give an offense or be a stumbling block neither for Jew that's religious people, nor for Greeks, that's Gentiles, those liberals, nor for the church of God. So that means that certain things we should do so that we do not become stumbling block for our neighbors with whom we live or for the religious people. But right now, this chapter deals do not be stumbling block for the church of God. There are certain things in the church of God where we got to be um, sensitive and we have to be humble. And I like verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, you know, the physical part, but something that is invisible, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we uh, think about faith, Faith is uh, something that Christ will be looking for when He comes and returns to the earth a second time. And the scripture says that when the Son of Man will come to this earth, will He find faith on the earth? It's so important for us to do everything what we do in faith. Even these small details, small little things. Verse 23, as a summary of the chapter, says... But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Coming back to the place where I started, uh, we have to dwell, abide in God's Word. I don't know how to encourage you. I don't know how to make you, how to check if you're reading the Bible or not. But be really diligent into incorporating reading of the scripture into your daily schedule if you don't do that you will fall sooner or later and it can be a very small thing but it will make you um it, it will it will be a stumbling block for you i was uh, in california a couple of weeks ago and we had a conversation with my relatives and uh, it was it was a heated discussion it was something that and what I and the person that I talked with is a very respected in my eyes person. But when I left that conversation, you know what I felt? I felt like somebody was getting a sharp knife and just poking it to me all the time. And I was trying to understand what's going on. Seems like that person is right. Seems like that is something that I probably don't know yet spiritually. Seems like I want to go there, but I don't really want to go that way because I didn't feel any love there. And so it took me actually a few days, and now when I'm looking back at it, I'm like, there was no love. There was no love between me and that 
brother from his side for sure. And so I have to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I put my hope, my trust in that person. But I have to put my faith in you. Because everything what's not in faith, even if I start copying that more spiritual person, he says, if you, even if you decide to eat that meat and it's not in faith, it's sin. You cannot just jump over yourself and say, okay, well, so they said that it's okay to clap my hands when I praise the Lord. And you start clapping and you feel something's wrong. Because it's not in your in faith. It's not something where, where you walk with the Lord. So everything comes down to the point where you have to uh, walk with the Lord. Your faith has to grow through the Scripture. And that way you will uh, be able to love your brother and love God. Let's pray. I took probably more time than I was supposed to, but I want to pray with you. Let's bow down and pray to the Lord. God, we thank you so much for this uh, scripture. I do believe that this is a very important passage. And thank you, God, for teaching us about uh, most important things. Thank you for giving us a reminder about uh, the importance of faith. Lord, without faith, nobody can please you. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, all the prophets, they came to you in faith. They came to you and they loved you. And then they grew in faith and spiritually they were giants. God, I want to grow. I want my brothers and sisters to grow spiritually. I want every one of us to grow in faith. Because when we understand you, when we understand the spiritual uh, truths, we will love our neighbor. We will be humble. We will love uh, everyone in the church. And we will not uh, do any wrong to anybody. God, I pray that you will help us to live in unity. Lord, we want to walk in unity and love each other. As it was read at the beginning of the service, they will be known by love among each other. Not by the miracles. Not by the great worship. Not by great truths and revelations but by love and I thank you God for my brothers and sisters and I love them and I want to even love them more and grow in love in Jesus name God Боже, я благословляю именем Твоим нашу молодежь, нашу церковь. Боже, так не хочется иметь каких-то разделений, не хочется иметь споров, не хочется отвлекаться на второстепенные вещи, хочется ходить в радости, хочется, как написано, Царство Божие — это праведность, мир и радость во Святом Духе. Во имя Иисуса Христа даруй нам эту праведность, даруй нам эту радость и помоги нам, Господи Боже, быть в мире друг с другом. Во имя Иисуса. Благодарю Тебя, Боже мой. Хвала Тебе, наш Бог, Отец, Сын и Дух Святой. Аминь. Слава Богу. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Um, I would say guys, but if you guys were at youth camp, I remember. I really appreciated that. I really did. I think that's something that if we achieved, we would notice a difference. I think we would notice a difference. And the first place I just wanted to read from is very familiar if you were at youth camp. And that is Romans chapter 12. That's the first place I wanted to read from. Romans chapter 12. Just to give us a quick reminder before I go into what else, what else I had to say. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, this is the New King James Version I'm reading from. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your 
mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And to those of us who are there, I won't go into too much detail, I won't go too far in. You remember that they said the method by which we transform our mind was what? Does somebody remember? This one I want to say. What was that method? How do we transform our mind? With what do we renew this mind that's inside of us? With the Word of God. We transform this mind, this fleshly mind, this corrupt mind, this mind that has for our whole lives till the day we have become born again been filthy and wrong and corrupt. We transform it with what? The Word of God. And knowing that, with that in mind, I wanted to go to the second place I had prepared. And the second place that I want to read from is a practice. This is something that you as a Christian practice, but it's something that you cannot practice very well if you do not know the Word of God. And this place is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I wanted to read verse 3 to verse 5. And it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I want to read verse 5 again. That's the one I wanted to emphasize casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And to those of us who are aware, John chapter 1, Jesus Christ is that Word of God. And so when we say bringing every thought subject into obedience unto Christ, we're really just saying Subjecting every thought to the Bible. And that is a very difficult thing to do if you don't know the Bible, believe it or not. And so what does this look like? Why is this something that I wanted to share with you guys? I am not a perfect person. A lot of you here know that. Some of you might not. I'm just kidding. Obviously, you guys know I'm not perfect. I am not a perfect person. And I sometimes have doubts. And I sometimes have thoughts that come into my mind. And I want to share one of these thoughts, and I want to tell you, how did I overcome this thought? How did I overcome it? With the Word of God. And the thought kind of goes like this. God, I do not think that you love me. God, I know what your Bible says. Everyone knows John 3.16. I know, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. But God, I feel, like Alex was saying, I feel like you don't love me. God, if you loved me, why would you let me go through what I'm going through? God, if you loved me, why are you not answering my prayer? God, if you loved me, why are you not healing me? God, maybe you do love me, but I feel like you probably love me less than everybody else. You probably want me to get into heaven, but you're probably not really interested in my day-to-day, -day, God. God, you love me, but I feel like out of all your sons, you probably don't care too much about this one. And so I said, God, why do I feel this way? And I believe, first of all, this is a fault of contemporary Christianity. I got to call it out. 
with the songs that we sing sometimes, the worship that's out there, the stuff that's playing on the radio, the preachers that are out there, we always have this feeling of, God, let me feel your presence. Lord, let me feel your love. Lord, let me feel your Holy Spirit. And we've just been regurgitating over and over and over again, God, I need to feel something. God, we're tired of that religious thing that's out there right now in the world. We're tired of the Pharisees. We want that intimate feeling. And we've just recycled it over and over and over again. And slowly, ever so slowly, even to those of us who do not believe in that, we have started to kind of accept it ever so slowly in our subconscious. Slowly. And we say in a rough season in our life, God, why do I not feel you there? God, why is it that I'm not feeling that zeal? I'm not feeling that fire I used to feel. And we've gone from being grounded in the Word and being grounded in the truth that is in the Word and we've let feelings govern us. And usually we start seeking the feelings. We don't go to the Word at that point. At that point we say, what is the next spiritual high that I can get to feel that love again? And that's where you have those extremists and you have those places that they fall to. But that's not what I wanted to talk about today. I had this feeling, God, I don't think that you really love me. And so how did I take that thought and how did I subject it to the Word of God to say, no, it doesn't matter what I feel, I know God loves me. Obviously, you guys know John 3.16. But in my case, I said, Lord, what other verses can you show me? How else can I say, God, you love me no matter how I'm feeling right now? And that's where I wanted to read. I wanted to share this verse with you. And this is from John chapter 15. This is just what you can do this for every area in your life and every thought. And you should do this for every thought. The one specifically I'm sharing with is, God, I don't feel like you love me. Lord, where does it say in your word that you love me? How do I change that thought? And this is John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 12 to 14. And it says, Jesus is saying this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And in my case, I was saying, I had this complaint, I had this doubt in my mind. These thoughts would come and they would say, God, if you really loved me, why would you let me go through these things? God, if you really loved me, why are you showing, why are you blessing this brother or this sister more than me? I started comparing, I said, God, if you really loved me, why is it that I'm not successful in this area of my life? Why is it that I struggle with such and such and such a sin? And I had a problem with understanding what love was. Because what? I got used to it being a feeling. I'm just so used to, like I said, it was always regurgitated. I was used to feeling something. And because God was not giving me a feeling every morning, I became very insecure. And I started saying, God, I don't think that you love me. I did not understand what real love was. And just like Alex was saying, he was preaching and I was like, these sermons are going to connect. I know it. And he was saying, love, it can have a feeling. Feelings are fantastic. But when those feelings become the governing truth in your life, they become the idol instead of God, that is when we start having heresy. That is when we start having ridiculous things happen in our life. And I was not understanding what love really was. I want to reread verse 13. 
Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I remember there was this one time, I'm sitting once again, and these thoughts are coming in, these doubts are coming in. Something happened in my life, and I was saying, God, I don't think that you love me. And this verse comes up. I look it up in the Bible. Usually just a snippet of the verse comes into your mind. I search it immediately. I say, what is that verse? And it said what? The greatest act of love anyone can ever do for you or you can do for someone else is to lay down your life for your friend, for them, whoever they are. And so I take this verse and I say, God, Jesus Christ, you showed the greatest act of love and you showed it to me when you died on the cross for me. What has happened? My thoughts have told me this is the definition of love. The Bible says, no, that's not the definition of love. This is the definition of love. And I'm walking around saying, God, you don't love me because I'm still living by this definition that I've gotten from the flesh and from the world and from the culture and from whatever someone is preaching out there. And I have not gotten it from the Bible. And God is saying to me, I have already shown you my love before you were ever born, Dennis. When I died on that cross, I laid down my life for you. And I showed the greatest act of love and mercy possible. If you don't believe the Bible, that's fantastic. This is not going to make sense to you. If you do not believe that the Bible is the truth, this is not going to make sense to you. But if you say, Lord, I take your word as truth, you take that thought and you just reject it. You flat out reject it. And the next time that thought comes, you say, no, I don't care. The next time the flesh comes in with its doubts, you say, I do not care what I am feeling. I base my relationship with God on the word and I know that he loves me. It's not a matter of what he's done for me. He's already laid down his life for me. Even if for the rest of my life here on earth, I died in a year tragically and I slowly, doesn't matter. It does not matter what happens to my life. If it ends up like Job's, it's cut short. I live to 100. It doesn't matter. He's shown his greatest act of love for not squashing me like a bug. I like how one preacher said it. I deserve hell and I'm not getting it thanks to God. Thanks to his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves me. And he loved me first. And with that, I think we can just stand up and pray as we finish the service. Lord God, I thank you for your word that you have given us Christians to us believers. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have promised that you will never forsake us, my God. And that not only will you never forsake us, you will be with us always to the end of the ages, my God. Father, I know that you love me, Lord. I know that you have so many beautiful things written for us Christians, God. But in my lack of faith, in my doubting, Lord, in me not reading your word, my God, I can miss your intentions, God. I can miss your truth, Father, for my life. I pray, forgive me, my God. Cleanse me when I doubt, God. When I say that you are a liar and I say that you do not love me, I pray, forgive me, my God. I pray, Lord, let us be Christians who are in the word, my God. Let us abide in your love, my God. Let us live for you and let us seek your face every single day, my God. Just like in youth camp, Father, we were given this desire, this urge to be in the word, my God. I pray let it be so with us, Father God. Teach us to have a desire to yearn for your word, my God, to not be governed by our feelings, my God, not to be governed by what the world says love means, Lord, but to have every standard in my life, your standard, my God. What is in your word, my God? What is I know, Father, and what I believe to be your truth, my God. Father, you have been so merciful and so good to us, and I thank you for that, my God. I was not worthy. I was not deserving of your love, my God, but you were faithful, Lord, and you saved me, God. I'm thankful, Father. 
I do not expect hell, my God. I expect to be eternally with you, my God. You took my punishment, Lord. I'm thankful for what you did on the cross, Jesus. I deserved hell, but you took it instead, my God. You laid down your life for me, my God. And I'm thankful, Father, for this greatest act of love, my God. I no longer need to doubt your love, my God. Even if I was to perish, Lord, this day, on this night, get in a car wreck, it does not matter, God. You've proved your love to me, my God. And I thank you for that. I pray, help me to show my love for you, my God. And I do that by following your commandments, my God. Give me grace to follow your commandments and to live by your word every single day. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.